Welcome to Bite Size Jazz, a podcast with a taste of new albums and new artists. We have interviews with up-and-coming jazz musicians, more established jazz musicians, all talking about their latest albums and compositional processes with short excerpts of their music. You can learn more about us at our website, bitesizejazz.com, or by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening to Bite Size Jazz. This week's guest on the podcast is guitarist Andrew Renfro. He's from Jupiter, Florida, with a Master of Music from Juilliard. Andrew is best known as the first call guitarist for artists including Braxton Cook, Carmen Lundy, Tia Fowler, and Jonathan Barber. Based in New York, he first shared his original music on his 2020 EP Dark Grey. And now let's welcome him to the show to talk about his latest project. Hi, I'm Andrew Renfro, and I'm releasing an album entitled Run in the Storm. And thank you so much, Andrew, for joining me here on the podcast. Sure. Thanks for having me. And I would love to talk about your overall idea for the sound of the album, because it was pretty unique. Um, So how did you go about creating that? Well, a lot of them started in uh, Ableton, and so that's kind of a new thing for me is it really since maybe a year before the pandemic started and now it's been accelerated by the pandemic is, is becoming familiar with these computer programs and, and how that can be a tool for composition. So because many of the ideas started in Ableton, um, I wanted to try to keep some of those sounds, even with a live band and a live feel, I still wanted to kind of keep some of the same sounds that became part of the, composition so when you hear the 808 type electric drums that kurt is playing um he's 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 doing that playing that live but kind of using those sounds that we schemed on and were kind of born of ableton basically did he have like an electric drum set that he was playing he has he has triggers and um which I don't know that much about, but somehow they trigger an SPD pad, the Roland SPD pad. And um, if you know anything about Kurt, you know that he's a thorough guy. So like when we uh, first started talking about it, I, you know, I was like, is there a way that you can play your phrasing and, you know, play all your stuff, but then have some of these sounds in the mix. And he said, yeah, I just need to figure this out. And so he really went, uh, and figured it all out and played it all in real time. And, and, you know, I'm extremely grateful for him. That's amazing that you can make that happen. Yeah. With him. Yeah. You know, yeah. Great musician and great, you know, like I said, thorough, if he wants to learn something, he's going to learn it, you know? And I loved the, uh, the pairing of the saxophone and guitar on the melodic lines that you did. Hmm. Yeah, Braxton and I have been playing for six years or so now, and mostly in his band, which is, you know, he he has a lot of, he's been hustling and putting out music for a long time and and getting a lot of gigs, so we've played and toured a lot together, and um, so uh, we've built this sort of common phrasing, I think, a lot of times, and um, so getting him on this was a no-brainer for me. Yeah, so how did you guys do that? Because you guys were so in sync throughout all the melodic lines, like completely together. Did that just come over time? Yeah, come over time for sure. And um, 
I we have some common influences for sure, so that helps. And um, and a lot of times I'm trying to, you know, it's it's compromise where I'm trying to I'm listening to how he plays something and trying to match it, and I'm sure he's doing that to some extent with me. Um, but uh, at it when I first was, you know, I had them all on my computer, these little demo versions, and. I didn't know if any of them were really good, but I, I knew they were good once we started playing the melodies together, because he has a way, because he sings too, and he just has a way of like making a melody come to life. So you've mentioned that you play with um, Braxton Cook a lot. Um, can you tell me about some of the other people playing on your album? Yeah, so we talked about Kurt Noasad, Curtis Noasad, the drummer, um, who's incredible and great. Um, also, Tabor Gable plays uh, keyboard on it, and he's somebody who we go way back to um, our undergrad days when we were both. 18 or 19 and um so we've literally learned to play jazz music together you know from kind of like the beginning and um so i've learned so much from him and taken so much from him and um he adds his a certain he's always playing for the band and for the spirit of the whole picture you know which is something i really appreciate and um so yeah, you hear him all over the record. You hear uh, Rick Rosado on bass, um, and he's sort of a newer association with me. And um, our first gig was a standards gig in New York at the bar next door that a common friend recommended him for, and uh, it was just immediate sort of like, oh, I love the way this guy plays, and and. And somehow that was completely different from what I did on the record, but I knew he would be perfect for it also. Yeah, I was going to say, Standards Gig is pretty different from what your album sounded like. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. but, you know, I guess there's enough in common. You know, we figured it out. That's awesome. Why did you name the album Run in the Storm? Well, it's so I, a lot of it is sort of imagery from my childhood, and I am from Florida and grew up on boats and fishing and stuff so um there's this one story that's kind of become legend in the family where we got caught in this storm on a boat and you know all we all almost died and and all this and um so and you know part of the album i began writing in a difficult part of my life where i was um getting out of a long-term relationship and and life was changing very fast and so the idea of running you know sort of being strong and running straight through the storm uh resonated with me and um that's how it came to be so what's the importance of keeping in motion during the storm versus just staying still like when you both when you were on the boat like 
why did you have to keep moving forward versus just letting the storm take you around and waiting it out? And then like, how do, how does that work out in your life as well? Yeah. If you know anything about being on a boat in a storm like that, it's that you can't be still because if you get sideways in the waves, that's when you capsize. So you literally have to run. Run is sort of like a word with boats, I guess, to, to get up and run is to go. So you literally have to make sure you're pointed into the waves so that you wouldn't capsize. So there's that. And then as far as life, you know, just sort of trucking on and, and, and uh, moving on and keeping a forward vision. And What is that saying? When the going gets tough, the tough get going? Yeah, exactly. So how did you capture that in the song, Running the Storm? Well, yeah, so that's the that's sort of the, the song itself is maybe the storm part. Um, and then there, um, I don't know, I just had some dark chords and that I got from probably Messian. Uh, a lot of these songs were born of like stealing a chord from Messian and reworking it somehow. So yeah, I had these dark chords and it seemed to have this wavy kind of motion and um, it reminded me of that and I just ran with it and it's got a sort of tumultuous solo section that's um, borrowed from John Coltrane and uh, his dear old Stockholm and yeah, I just thought it was a good uh, way to try to capture that feeling. Messian in there what kind of influence did his music have on you uh a huge one with composition um a long time ago I was I played I was gonna play with JD Allen I did we did one or two gigs but he he sent me this thing he was you know interested in using guitar in the in his band and he was thinking like trying to scheme different ways to, you know, and he sent me this big, huge pamphlet on, um, or like PDF on Messian chords and Messian theory and some of this stuff and kind of asked, well, can you play any of this? Can you add any of this to, um, and at the time the answer was a huge, no, I can't do any of this, you know, (laughs) completely foreign to me. And, um, but I started just kind of sitting at the piano. The other thing is like, it's very dense. So you can't really do a lot of it on guitar. You need two hands and a piano. Um, but I started, that kind of got the wheels turning where I was interested. Well, oh, some of this stuff is really weird and interesting and outside of the normal sounds of jazz, you know. You know, jazz has all these different chords and stuff, but, the, but in a way there it's, it's kind of finite um so to find some of these other sounds through him was huge for me and a lot of the comp most of the compositions on the record are in some way related to something i got from 
sitting down and learning one of his choir pieces or one of his organ pieces and um, doing it in a very slow, methodical, one chord at a time kind of way. Um, and also looking at it like um, like just a, a snapshot in time. This whole piece could be this giant thing that has all this stuff happening. But sometimes if you just freeze the one moment, there's something really interesting happening there harmonically that I will use. Um, and Alps, the last song, is is exactly that. Yeah, could you dig in a little bit more into the song Alps and how you use the chords in that song? Yeah, the first two, I think it's the first, I'd have to hear it, but he ha- he has a, a composition called, I can't pronounce any of these French words, but La Cochard des Alps or something, some bird in the Alps. But um, the opening chords of his and mine are the same, the first at least the first two. I'd have to hear it again and remember how much I did take. But I think it's maybe just the first two chords. And it's just the idea of something on top staying the same and the left hand moving underneath. And I took the exact voicings. Um, and that was my jumping off point. And I went and wrote a whole new thing that had nothing to do with what he did from there. But that was the seed idea. So was the name Alps connected to his piece at all too then? Yeah, I I had just traveled to, um, done the uh, Montreux Festival in Switzerland and was staying uh, with Braxton and was staying in uh, this little Airbnb in a little town that just at the foot of these huge mountains and... Uh, I was just amazed by the, the power of them and how quickly and massive, you know, how quickly they went up and how massive they were. And um, so when you hear that song, I kind of, I tried to capture some of the, the weight of it. It's a slow moving song with heavy left hand piano. Yeah. Tell me about your song, Borrowed Time. That, uh, again, is a messian. Uh, that first chord. Um, it's this weird sort of chord that comes out of the augmented scale that I got from him and something. And that um, that's sort of about like uh, the impending realization that uh, a relationship is going to end. And that, um, and the imagery I was going for is sort of flying was what I was doing at the time is being out on tour is like, well, you get on the plane and, um, you kind of just disassociate and you're going to go on tour for a couple of weeks and, and, uh, you don't have to deal with it, but you know that it's on borrowed time basically. And one of the coolest things that, uh, working with the producer drew of the drew helped is this 
there's like the counter melody that comes in after a minute or two and it's sort of a ghost melody it's a ghost of the melody that we had played for the first minute and a half and it comes back even though we've moved on and he found this really great sound for it um and so i think that adds sort of to the creeping feeling i was trying to capture that melody that you said was kind of like a ghosting melody was that connected at all to the other track called ghosts borrowed time the no but the chords are the chords are the same and um that track is me that was done after the fact um with uh just in logic and computer stuff in ableton and Kurt played drums uh, on it remotely during Corona and Braxton played saxophone on it remotely during Corona. So that was sort of the first um, thing that I put out that's um, or going to put out that is really stayed in the computer, you know, and was and so and that's exciting for me because I want to do a lot more of that going forward. I, uh, I always think it takes a lot of talent to be able to do all the stuff on the computer. Because, I mean, it's nice because you can hear it right when you put it in, but you have to know, like, exactly what sound you want in order to put it in at the same oh, time. Total rabbit hole and uh, total learning experience. It feels like I'm at the foot of just this huge mountain of information. Well, I am. And, You're at the base of the Alps again. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas guitar feels, you know, like I've been, I've been doing fighting that battle for 20 years but this is a new completely new discipline and new thing to learn i also i like the groove on your tune doula yeah thanks uh yeah that came from ableton too that was and the snap thing that kurt played you know um yeah that came from just a like a really rinky dink demo in ableton and then the band just basically kept the same feel, but just made it 10 million times better. That's awesome. And where did the name come from? That was a nickname for a former girlfriend. The same one uh, about borrowed time? Uh, yes. Yep. And 
And Storm's Eye, that one kind of connects into this whole theme about running through the storm, keeping the momentum going. But isn't the storm of the eye of the storm usually the calm part? Mm-hmm. Which is why it's a solo guitar thing. And, you know, in Florida, I was lived through many hurricanes. And uh, it's totally bizarre to go out in the middle of the eye of the storm. Because it's huge. So if the hurricane went over you, you have like, uh, I, I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour of complete calm. But that you, there's this sense that there's this huge gray thing around you, and you know there's trees falling and everything all over the yard. And um, but in that moment, it's still, and you can kind of observe the chaos around. And um, so that's kind of the feeling I was going for. And Drew helped a lot with that, with some of the uh, sonic stuff he did with that. I. It's, it's a solo guitar piece that I played straight through, but um, Drew helps. He add, added like some fire crinkling noises and like a sub thing that came in and just generally dressed it up. So um, that's another avenue I want to explore in the future is the idea of like solo guitar, you know, totally acoustic totally old school, um, but then produced, you know, after the fact to become this in new sort of thing. mentioned drew a couple of times he did your production for you is that correct mm -hmm. production miss mix and master yeah all drew yeah can you tell me a little bit more about what he added to the album you mentioned some of the stuff he added to uh storm's eye but yeah. what are some other things he did that ghost melody on borrowed time i mean little things all along the way you know and just helping to shape the sound of the drums, shape the sound of the keyboards, shape the sound of the record. Yeah, on Ghosts, he, you know, that was a big, big one for him too, where he helped shape the sound because it was less of a live thing, you know. Because the majority of the record is us playing it live. Even it, it sounds produced sometimes, but it, it's born of a, a complete studio take, you know. Um, but Ghost wasn't, so he had more room to play with. Um, and then 1998, how did that song come about? Um, that's Messian again at the end, in the, the end section. Um, uh, the first part is a blues, kind of, a blues form. And... Um, but with like major seventh chords and over the third in the bass. And I wrote that as like a pop song, maybe like five years ago for a friend who sings and does sort of singer songwriter stuff. And it, uh, it never 
happened, but I, I had that idea in the back of my head and it later connected with the rest of the ideas in the song and became what it is. And a lot of times my compositions are kind of like that. It's a, if I wrote down the idea somewhere and then I keep it and I'll pull out a sheet and it's from five years ago and I go, Oh, I remember that thing. I never did anything with it. And maybe if I combine it with this other thing that I found, um, maybe there's a, a, a thread line there and um, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And that time it did. So That's cool. It's cool yeah. how you can, you know, find stuff that you wrote down that you didn't have all the inspiration for at the time. And then you come back and you're like, oh, now I know how to finish it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a huge, you know, and then I can't even imagine how many I lost that I didn't write down. Um, I saw something with David Lynch that uh, the movie guy, the Twin Peaks guy, and he, he said, write down everything in that or something. And he's like yelling at the camera to write down everything. So I need to do better with that, but I'm glad for the ones that I did write down, you know. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up. But thank you so much for taking the time to talk about your music and opening up about your ideas. It's been fun talking with you. For sure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to an interview with Andrew Renfro about his album Run in the Storm. If you like what you heard, you can find the full album wherever you stream music. We've also included a link in this episode's description, along with a link to Andrew's website, so you can learn more about him and how you can support his music. Also, we're including a 30-second episode rewind from past interviews at the end of this episode, so you can know which episode to listen to next. This episode rewind will have excerpts from interviews with Gretchen Parlato and Emmett Cohen. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening to Bite Size Jazz. You know, I'm concerned with the lineage and excited by the lineage of, of the music, by the lineage of humanity, knowing that in order to understand what's going to happen in the future, we have to excavate and discover um, things about the past. Kids have no hesitation to just to just announce how wonderful and awesome they are, right? And so it was kind of remembering that and thinking as adults, you know, something happens where you, you, you might lose that. So it's just like a, a reminder to be, to have that sense of, of self and, and value in, in the work.